puts himself out there. He says, here I am. I'm, I'm here. Are you ready for a conversation? Sometimes we do go to the, uh, the uncomfortable place. Sometimes we go to the place and just say, I wonder what's going to happen here. He goes through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. It's hot. Samaritan woman comes out to draw water. And Jesus says, will you give me a drink? Now, this is a beautiful piece of the communication method of Jesus. And it's not manipulation, but it is beautiful. He asks for something from her. Sometimes when we are delivering the truth, we don't leave room for the other person to bring anything to the table. We act like the expert and basically say, I have something to tell you, you just cork it and hear me. In the simple asking for a glass of water, Jesus is inviting the woman to bring something to the conversation. Are you willing not just to be heard, but to actually hear? Are you willing not just to be heard, but to actually attempt to understand what the other person is saying and where the other person is coming from? Or have you just written them off, boom, done, I know, you don't, listen to me? What a beautiful invitation. Give me a drink. And we know where this goes. I mean, she says, you're asking the wrong woman. Samaritans are not supposed to ask Jews for a drink. So that in itself is like, it opens an opportunity. Why would you do this? Do you not know the rules? To which Jesus says, I know the rules. I get it. If, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asked for your drink, you would have asked me for a drink. Not a drink of water, but living water. Sir, you have nothing from which to draw, draw, draw the water. Where does this living water come from? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and livestock. Jesus goes on, everyone who drinks the water. Do you see? I mean, he jumps into the theme that is familiar to her. He goes where she lives. She's about drawing water, and they're having this, this water conversation. And then, of course, he has this supernatural moment where he says, go back and tell your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. He says, well, you're right. You've had five husbands, and you're living with the current guy. Uh, it, he doesn't pull a punch here, right? He still delivers truth. He still speaks truth. She jumps in, I can see your prophet. And then she wants to talk about where we're supposed to worship. Do we worship on Mount Gerizim? Do we worship in Jerusalem? Where does that happen? I think the beautiful part of what happens in John chapter 4, and we see it again over in Acts chapter 17, when Paul is talking to the people of Athens, is that Jesus was willing to preserve the dignity of human beings in a conversation. He was willing to preserve their dignity. So whether it's talking to Nicodemus at night in private to preserve his dignity, or this woman to whom he delivers hard truth, but he's still respectful and loving toward her. There's a protection of her dignity. We see the same with Paul in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, verse 16, we see, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. I love that it says that. 
Paul has, Paul has a, a, a kernel of popcorn under his denture. It's driving him nuts. It's making him crazy right now because he sees this city full of idols and it leads to distress. Is it not true that some of our combative relationships and combative conversations come out of a distress that has arisen within us and we seem like we just can't let it go? And sadly, sometimes our distress becomes more of a rant than a conversation. It becomes, it becomes a, a release of pressure rather than an honest conversation with the other person. So please understand, this is the approach of Paul right now. He's approaching this, and there is distress. He feels a burden to say something, a burden to do something. This is one of those moments when we're under distress that we have the high potential of sticking the stick in the pot and stirring, and the bees come flying out. All right? It says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. Please understand, Paul lived in the headspace. And Paul loved to reason. I mean, you don't write the book of Romans and be a heart person or a gut person. He was a head person. And he wanted to reason with them and talk this through. And as he's doing this, verse 19 says, a group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some said, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods they, they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the uh, meeting place of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know more of what they mean. And then we see in verse 22, Paul says, it says, Then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, Athens, I see in every way you are very religious. I want you to just think about that line for a moment. Where did this story start? He's distressed because the city is full of idols. When's the last time you called an idol worshiper very religious? I, I, our tendency is the word pagan, <laughs> godless. I see that you are very religious. Again, this tremendous preservation of the people's dignity and an acknowledgement of the peace that he can find that is good in them. You're very religious. Now he goes on to say, you're religious, you're just missing the point. And he mentions, actually, you, 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 you've been so careful about worshiping everything that you've even made up an idol called to an unknown God. Uh, this, is, this is kind of your, just in case we missed you, we got an idol for you too. And, and to which Paul steps in and says, and I know who he is. Let me tell you about him. Do you see the beauty of the way this unfolds? That, that they're, Jesus and Paul walk into invitations. They just walk into opportunities. They walk into invitations and they fill in the blanks for people in a way that is winsome and wonderful. There are beautiful examples in the Bible of the way we can communicate. There's also exhortation. Let's look at three passages that exhort us on the way that we're supposed to speak. And they're familiar to us as Christ followers. He, Ephesians 4.15, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body of the church. 
always that balance of truth and love, truth and love, truth and love. You can't take away one or the other. Truth was never intended to be a baseball bat that we use to go around hitting people. But to say, I love people too much so I will not speak the truth, is to say you do not love them at all. It is truth and love. Truth spoken in love all the time. That's what Christ followers do. And so we need to think through the times that we've had a combative conversation. Is it because I presented the truth lovingly and the truth hurts and they're having a hard time with it because they will have a hard time with the truth? Or is it because I delivered in a way that I withheld the love which Christ commanded of me? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 and following. Now, who will, want to warn, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? And the implied answer is no one, of course. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. This is where this gets interesting, because again, what we said at the beginning, are we talking about the message or are we talking about the method? Sometimes we'll get in trouble because of our method. We're not saying it right. But sometimes we'll get in trouble because it is our job to deliver the truth of the message. And Paul says, you may suffer for speaking truth. Or in other words, just because you've spoken truth does not mean it will go smoothly every time. Sometimes a person will receive the truth and the truth hurts. And we need to be know for certain that we are being honest about our motivation, that it was about the truth that is offending them and not the methodology that we used. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope you have as a believer, you must be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Again, he reinforces People have dignity and worth. Every human being, even the most vile human being, is created in the image of God. And we treat them with dignity and worth. We speak with gentleness and respect. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Again, this is, if you got the method right, in time they will be convicted that what the problem was, was the truth. Not the way the truth was delivered. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing what is wrong. Or in other words, sometimes we will suffer for delivering the truth. So don't live under the myth that if I've spoken the truth, it will be received with open arms every time. Sometimes it will not. James 1.19, understand this, dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. You may want to just go ahead and post that one on your computer screen. Quick to listen, not quick to post, not, not quick to respond, quick to listen. I have the speed to stop and say, what? Slow to speak, not knee-jerk well thought out, and very slow, very slow to become angry. There are so many more things we could talk about today. I think we have to come down to a few final questions. In communication, what is my goal? 
Is my goal to make my point or to make a difference? I had to be honest in more immature years in my life to say that I was big about making my point. It was important that you understood my point because good reasoning leads to you finally changing. So it was important to make my point and it wasn't making a difference. All it was doing was causing conflict. Second question, am I looking to be understood or am I seeking understanding? Am I just looking that you know what I think or am I actually looking for places that we can grow together in our understanding? And finally, is the truth offending this person or am I being offensive? There is a difference. And sadly, sometimes people will think that because the truth does offend, it gives them the right to be abusive with their language or with their approach. It does not. We can ever so lovingly deliver tough words in such a way that the person still may struggle greatly with what we have to say. They may struggle greatly with what we have to say, but nonetheless, we know that we've been used by God to deliver the words that God desired. Let me wrap up with Colossians chapter 4. Starting with verse 5, Paul says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And then in verse 6 he says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. As Christ followers, our words are to be graceful. You read that seasoned with salt, and you say, what's that all about? Well, I love salt, so I need to know more about that. Our conversation should be sprinkled with grace. It should always be sprinkled with grace. There is no excuse for us to remove grace from conversations of truth. Always graceful. Always graceful. That's the mark of the believer. So that, as Paul said, or as Peter said at the end of chapter 3, even if you suffer for doing what is wrong, even if you say something, speak the truth and you suffer, you know that you've done the right thing because you've spoken in a way that is filled with grace. Father God in heaven, help us as we have our conversations, whether face-to-face with our family or friends, whether with strangers, whether it is written communication or verbal communication, Help us to always think about the ways in which we represent you in this conversation and to not let our moments of being disturbed or frustrated overtake us. I pray that you will help us to be people who do not simply rant, who do not simply ramble on with our frustrations, but that we'll actually stop and think about the way our words are impacting other human beings. We know that not every conversation will go smoothly. Sin is involved in every conversation because we are involved in every conversation. We are broken. We don't always hear what was said. We we are not always heard the way we intend. But God, I pray that when offense comes, it would come because the truth has been spoken and not because we have spoken truth offensively. Grow us in the ability to speak grace-filled words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we come this morning to communion, and as we do, we come to this time that we think about the grace, the tremendous grace that God has extended to us.
And we have that question that we started with last week. Am I a slave to dress, friends, work, or habits? Kind of an interesting question. A question that left us wondering, what controls our lives? What can, is, is Christ the primary controller of my life or is something else? So in light of what we've talked about today, you, you might add another here. Am I a slave to dress, friends, work, habits, or the wonder of me and my opinion? Am I so impressed with me? We'll take these few moments to think about the question, to think about the things that we've, that we've talked about today. Maybe it's just a moment of, of conviction where you realize, wow, the, the problem I'm having with this other person is that I have spoken offensively. And you might use this moment to apologize to God for that and think about the way that you're going to apologize to the other person. There is tremendous power in the apology. There is great power in coming and saying, the way I said that was wrong. I need your forgiveness. So we'll be silent for a moment, and then we'll move to one of four stations around the room for communion. There are two at the back and two at the front as we listen to the words of a, of a song that reinforces uh, the messages God is speaking to us today.
Sorry, I'm just making sure it's really done this time. <laughs> Next time I'll listen. But it was fun to walk across and see no empty seats. That worked out very well. <laughs> ah, yeah. Anyway, I'm so glad you were here today. Um, after the second service at noon, we'll be headed over to Four Rivers um, Environmental Education Center. So you can pop that into your GPS. The address is also in, in your folder today at noon to celebrate the baptism of a group of people. And then in, in two weeks, we'll be doing that again here on the day that we're dedicating this, this new space that's been built to the use and, and cause of Jesus and a bunch of people getting baptized that day. So be watching this week. You'll be receiving an email that gives you some details about that day. One of the things that we're going to need to be finding out from you is do you intend to attend the service? Do you attend, intend to attend the service and the picnic? If you're coming to the picnic, how many people? We always want to make sure there's enough food when we're going to eat. So uh, it gives us that opportunity to get to know rather than guessing uh, and having too much or too little, it'll give us a good number. So if you'll go ahead and give us a, a response on that email when that comes, that will be very helpful. If you don't receive church emails and you want to, stop at the Welcome Center on the way out and we'll make sure to get you signed up for that. So go ahead and stand with me now as we close. <clears throat> now, Father in heaven, as we walk from this place, we will interact with human beings throughout this week. And as we have those interactions with our spouses and children and neighbors and co-workers and complete strangers and the lady at Jewel and whomever we talk to, I pray that we would speak in such a way that, that it would not simply be the truth of what we speak that would cause people to be drawn to Jesus, but the way we speak it would be winsome as well. That there would be such a, such a, a, a gracefulness about the way we communicate that even if a person is prone to resist the truth, we would not find that we have become the stumbling block that kept them from hearing it. We all need to grow in this, God. We all need to grow in the ability to speak the truth in love. We will need to grow in it until quite literally our final day. And so keep us excited and open about growing because we always want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than we were yesterday. And we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Enjoy your week.